Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, we are back and we are live. My name is Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. If you ever wondered what is leather, what is pleather, and why you should really take care of your leather, and what, and you're going to find out what actually is good leather. So make sure you listen to this episode. Stay tuned. But I want to thank our sponsors. Tammy Moses, The Hoarding Solution. If anybody has any issues that they know of anybody struggling with any hoarding issues or even any mental health issues, reach out to Tammy at thehoardingsolution.com. And also, if you guys love handmade woodworking, Kurt Bausch makes some amazing hand um, handmade woodworking. He actually makes for my, mo- my wife on Mother's Day. She has a cutting board, and now it's the only one she will use. So, guys, if you love Handmade with love woodworking. Check out Kurt Ballish at Ballish Woodworks. But guys, this is going to be a fun episode. My, we've been friends with Casey for a while. He sent me some amazing stuff. I use a wallet every single day. I, I actually even use the shaving um, container, and I, just a, and I think I got it maybe two years ago, and it still smells like the day I took it out of the container, and it holds up really well. So Casey Pinkerton of Pinkerton.co. What's up, my brother? How's it going? How's it going? Oh man, life is good. What's going on in your world? Staying busy. So, like I said, you are. If I have any questions about uh, leather work, you're the man that I go to. So, talk to us. Where Where did you grow up, and what kind of little kid were you? I grew up in real rural Montana. Real small town, Melstone, Montana there. And my dad, when I was a little kid, was a ranch hand. And that's where I kind of got my, started my interest in leather, I guess. I always wondered how saddle actually was built and how everything, how it's, how it's put together. There's a lot of intricacies to it that no one knows about. But I was kind of a rambunctious little kid that was a little bit hard to handle, I would say. <laughs> like every little kid. Were you good in school? Were you an athlete? I, I was, for the most part, school I really struggled with. I really did. It wasn't that I couldn't figure, didn't know it, is I was lazy and didn't want to do the work behind it. And would be one of those type of kids that wouldn't do any of my homework, but still get all A's on everything else. So I still managed to pass. So... Uh, but I did play football, basketball, wrestled, did a lot of wrestling, and all rodeo. Now, one thing, you know, I've talked to a lot of people on the show, and a lot of the highest achievers that I've met, they say a lot of it goes back to when they were wrestlers in school because it, it took a lot of discipline. And you know, a lot of times with wrestlers, you know, uh, sometimes everything would fall around the holidays. So they would have to cut weight 
during the holidays, you know, eat chicken breast while everybody else is enjoying everything else. So what were your thoughts? How were you, what kind of, um, when you were wrestling, did you get, find a lot that you was very mentally tough? Did you get mentally tough from that? I would say so because I did. I was one of those type of kids that I hovered right around 169, right around there, and wanted to wrestle 171, but I'd have to cut back to 160 every time. So I had to – I was one of those type of kids that I wouldn't eat right throughout the week, and it came crunch time. So Friday – or uh, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday – was just a lot of rice and everything else that wouldn't put on weight and not a healthy lifestyle by any means, but it helped me out. I think as far as it's not a team sport, it's all about you. I mean, it's you against him and everybody thinks it's a little weird, but muscle against muscle for minutes on end, it takes a lot of strength. Our our coach was really hard on us. I mean, I mean, I remember the basketball players, we'd have to go run around the track or around the stadium right there, uh, the gymnasium, and the stairs on each side up and around, and we'd have to do three miles of those after practice right there. And that was our cool down. Wow, that was your cool down. Yeah, he was kind of crazy. I mean, and then it was a nice slow jog, so it wasn't strenuous, but you still had upstairs, down the stairs, upstairs, down the stairs. So So when you were were in high school, did – did you, um, did this help you at all? Um, you know, cause like a lot of, I know a lot of, I've met some, some guys from the country and there's a difference between strong and country strong. Right. Um, you know and like, I've met some guys, I mean, that were bodybuilders and lifters and they would try to bail some hay and there was like, they would just give out. They couldn't take it. So what is, what was life like out in, you know, doing what you do uh where i was at then it wasn't too i consider it wasn't abnormal or too terrible and there's a lot of we go pick up hay bales and everything like that all summer just to make a little bit extra cash we had brandings in the spring so that helped out which is all physical labor but everybody all of us were the same we all did it so it didn't seem abnormal by any stretch of the imagination so now what does a kid do um for you know i'm thinking you know if you're growing up in that kind of lifestyle it's either you know especially if you're in texas you know those areas either you go work in the oil fields or you join the military and you kind of did both i did (laughs) so what was like life like when you graduated high school uh, I actually joined the National Guard before I got out of high school. I joined the National Guard at 17 and did their, oh, shoot, what? I can't remember what the program's called now. So I went to boot camp in Fort Knox, Kentucky between my junior and senior year there and then went to uh, AIT my senior year. Now, what was your, what was your MOS? 19 Delta. Yeah, Calf, Calf Scout, baby. Woohoo! Yep. So now, at the same time, you're you're a, a citizen soldier, so you're in the National Guard, but what are you doing to pay the bills? So at that point in time, I tried going to college right out of high school for diesel mechanics and 
that wasn't for me. I didn't like college. I, I had a problem with staying focused and actually doing the work there. And then one of my buddies, he got me thinking about it. He quit college as well and went to the drilling rigs there. Oh man, you should try this. You should try this. So I went out there and went out to the drilling rig with him and started working there. Did that from 2005 to 2007. So talk to us because, you know, I've never met, I mean, I've met guys that owned oil fields, but I never right. talked to somebody that worked in the oil field. What is it like actually working on a rig? Now it's actually pretty decent. Uh, the drilling rigs have gotten a lot safer, a lot better. But, I mean, you start at either 6 in the morning or 6 at night, you'll do either, most of them do 14 days on, 14 days off. So you'll work 14 days, 12 hours a day, and it doesn't sound bad, but you have to get up about 4.30 in the morning just to get there, get to the safety meeting, and then your day could be different depending on what you're going to be doing. You could be, if you're just drilling, you're doing a lot of cleaning for the most part if you're a floor hand. Um, a lot of maintenance, that type of thing, but if you're tripping pipe, pulling all the pipe out of the ground. It's quite a bit of work. You have to rack all that back there. And a lot of people don't realize how much pipe that is, but some of these laterals that we're drilling now are 25,000 feet long. So, I mean, you got three miles of pipe just laying sideways on the ground, plus everything, depending how far you are up and down. So now was that a good paying job? It, actually, at that time, it was a very, very good paying job. I started out making training wages. I want to say it was around 16 something an hour, 16.75. But once I got on to off trainee wages, I went up to $19 an hour. And by the time I quit drilling, after I got out of the military, I went back. I think by the time I quit drilling, I was doing $42 an hour. All right. So now you, you stayed on the rig for two years. Now, you know, I, like I said, I study your bio. I study everything about you. Right. Uh, and it seems like, unfortunately, in that kind of business, it's either feast. feast. Or famine. So did you eventually just get tired of the feast and the famine? No, I ended up our rig. We call it getting stacked out. They shut the rig down. And I was young enough and didn't know enough about it that. I thought I was just out of a job type of thing. So we got laid off there for a little while. And I, well, I got to figure out something to do. And I honestly didn't like the National Guard all that well. I, it just wasn't my cup of tea, per se. And the guys were really good. The command, looking back on it, was a little interesting. But they were all, for the most part, good guys. But I found out that I could go active duty any branch to get out of my contract uh, for the National Guard. So what made you choose the Marines over the Air Force, Army, Navy? Now I gotta give credit to my, my Marines. I love my Marines. I love the mindset um, that once a Marine, always a Marine. It's kind of like the mafia, you know, blood in. Blood. <laughs> but you know, one thing I gotta say about the Marines is I love the mindset, but I think you guys have the best uniforms hands down, ever. I, I, 
our dress blues are pretty impressive. I like them. So what was your decision on joining the Marine Corps? So I had a buddy that we were one of those that we always said in high school, we're going to join the Marines type of thing and go. Well, he joined the Marines. I joined the National Guard and he ended up getting killed. And it was kind of one of those things. Just I'm still going to uphold what I told him before and kind of felt bad. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and everything happens for a reason, but he, yeah, he ended up getting killed and I joined about, oh, it'd been about a year and a half after he joined. And yeah. Now, what job did you take in the Marine Corps? I picked infantry, 0311. So you're just, you're, you're just a ground pounder. You just get ground pounded by heart. We all kind of joined the military for a certain, certain thing. I didn't want to do aviation mechanics or something like that. Hindsight's twenty twenty again on that one. Also, I wish I would have done something that I had more of an attainable asset afterwards. But I probably wouldn't have changed it for anything. So, what was it like going from being a nasty guard, nasty girl, and National Guard, which I was for most of my career? to joining the Marine Corps, that had to be a total mindset shift. It was in a sense. I mean, boot camp and all that, that was, that wasn't nothing. I mean, they were pretty comparable, I think. But the active duty portion of it, just a mindset of, I mean, that's our actual job. That's what we do type of thing versus National Guard where you might be a welder, you might be oil field, you might be an accountant, whatever. I think everybody is more focused, more, this is what we're actually doing. We're not anything else, we're Marine infantry. And I really, I enjoyed it. I really liked it. Now, did you take to the Marines? Was it something that you, you, felt, you felt comfortable in? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I would have stayed in probably as long as I could have. But it was right there during Obama's little slowdown of the military there, 2010. Uh, so they told anybody that was E4 or above, if you wanted to re-enlist, you had to cross-train into a different MOS. Yeah. And I couldn't stay infantry or I had to try to go to DI school or something like that. And I wasn't cut out to do that. Now, you said you loved it, you know, something that you really had a passion for. Now you did the tour in Iraq, right? Tour in Iraq and Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Um, now, in your in your bio, it says it was some of the hardest years of your life. Can you talk about that? Uh, Iraq. Iraq was just boring. It was 2008 right there, so there wasn't much kinetic going on. It was just a lot of hot, long days type of thing. Afghanistan was completely different. It was completely different for us. It was right there, 2009 into 2010, and it was still pretty rough. So the area that we went in in Afghanistan there, the British were there before the unit that we replaced, and they got completely annihilated there. I mean, it was bad. The unit before us, they suffered quite a few casualties, and then... We we didn't do too bad. 
I mean, but we still had a handful that didn't come back. And that was probably the hardest parts of it was just those guys that we didn't get to bring back. And one of them was my best friend. And I think that's what made it so hard. But that's also what kind of drove me to want to be that much better, I guess. Okay, so now um, you decide to get out. Now, um, when you got out, did you make it home okay, or did you know that something was mentally off? I wouldn't. I would say I changed mentally, obviously. I think I did a lot of growing up, and I wouldn't say that it affected me in that context of like the PTSD. Okay. In my mind, I mean, the VA says different, but I don't think, I mean, yeah, they asked to do that. Well, like when you get out there, you have to do your whole psyche eval and everything like that. Yeah. And I remembered a gal that was doing it, the psychiatrist there. She, uh, well, did you ever feel happiness when someone died, enemy or anything else? Um, well, yeah. And she, you actually felt happiness? Like, yeah, I was pretty happy he wasn't shooting at me anymore. <laughs> no. They said that was an indicator of whatever. Yeah. But it was different. It depends what context you take it in. I think it gave me a lot of skills that, or a lot of mindset, perseverance, everything else that made me who I am today. Yeah, but we're going to talk about that now. You know, a lot of people like I've had now over 360 interviews, a lot of the women and, and men that I've talked to that I've got out of the military, you know, a lot of times, like for me, I got hurt on duty, so um, I didn't go out the way I wanted to go out. So uh -huh. not only did I lose my vision, but I lost my career and I lost the camaraderie. And so what was your transitioning story like? Did you struggle at all with your transitioning? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I got into drinking quite a bit. And when I was in the military, I, I mean, I drank, but I didn't drink like I did after I got out. It was just a big party for me when I got out type of thing. And didn't know what I was going to do. I thought I would try to go back to college. That didn't work out either. But... I ended up going back, living with my cousin for a little while and was going to go back. I didn't know what else to do as far as work. And the only skills I had right then was being able to pull a trigger. So I was going to go back doing uh, security contracting. And that same buddy that actually got me back on or got me on the drilling rigs the first time, we kind of reconnected there and come back to work for me. I'll start you out as a dare can, and that's where I ended up going from there, which didn't help my drinking by any means, being in the oil field. But but did it did it help your – and obviously, you know, growing up on, on a farm, you know, or being around that, you've always had a good work ethic. So, you know, what did the – what has the Marines taught you? What did it – what changed in your mindset – that now is actually helping you in your civilian life? Uh, I was, 
as far as I think the drive to want to do something, the drive to just get it done no matter what, I think that is the biggest thing that's helped me. I mean, you're going to get it done at all costs. And it's hindered me in that sense, too, as far as I need to be able to focus on other stuff. I'm one of those that I have to get this done or we can't move on to the next thing. But it's also, I think, helped me as far as when I was drilling and everything else and tool pusher leading other guys. So so when did you start getting into back into leather work? Were you still on the rigs? Well, you're still on the rigs, right? I'm still on the rigs, actually, as a directional driller. But I ended up, what would have been 2018, I think. Yeah, 2017, 2018. I ended up finding a guy up here in Wyoming that he built saddles for a living. He always has. And he puts on a little school there, and I finally had enough money saved up that I could kind of blow a few thousand dollars on the school. And I, that curiosity from way back when I was a kid was still there. How are saddles actually built? How do they do that? I mean, stay together and last for years and years and years. So I ended up getting linked up with this guy and went to work or went to a school for two weeks there just to learn how to build saddles. But I did do a lot of, leather work when I was a kid I should have pre said that in 4-H and stuff like that it's just little chintzy wallets and stuff like that <laughs> so then what was it that stayed you know because there's there's a difference between having a hobby you know like Stephen Kuhn says in our group you know if you don't have a business plan you don't have a business you have a hobby right so what, what was can you go back to the moment where you decided all right I'm going to make this into a business instead of a hobby. I don't think there was ever really a deciding factor that a switch that flipped there. It was a hobby forever. It was just, but it's one of those, I really enjoy doing it. It calms me down. It kind of keeps me level right there. So I was just using it as that for right then, just something to keep me uh, even keel type of deal. And then I'd have a certain per or certain people ask, well, can you do a purse? Well, I never have, but I can figure it out. So I build a purse or iPad cover. Then someone wanted a little holster and it's just kind of escalated from there. And, it was, I don't think it was ever really my intention to try to make it into a business at first, but I just keep getting orders and orders and orders. And finally, well, when we kind of first met up there, I decided to build the website and all that. And just to make it easier on me so I could track these orders that people were actually doing right there. And it was never a, supposed to be a business. <laughs> Well, man, and you know, and when I received the package that you sent me, when I when my wife opened that purse that you sent you sent us, I mean, and my cousins, you know, some of my cousins, um, they they order like the thousand dollars, the fifteen hundred dollars purses, 
And when they held your purse, they were like, oh, my God, this is so much better quality. So I'm, I'm sure you've heard that from, like, I use your wallet every day. I right. use the game every day. And it seems like it gets better with age, you know? Absolutely. Like, I had a leather jacket when I was younger, and now it's 20-something years old, and it's starting to feel better as I get older. Right. So, you know? So, you know, what kind of, what have people said about some of your, your products that you make? Uh, that's a lot of it is they just can't believe the, the difference of what they get from Walmart or even their Louis Vuitton or whatever else. The feel of it is so much different. And it's kind of funny to watch people like touch the edges of it. You can always see people touch the edges of the wallets like yours or the purse or whatever and then where it's burnished. Then you go look at a Louis Vuitton, it's just a rough edge. And they don't try to take the detail. But I think, again, like we're talking with the military, that little attention to detail about little stuff is what makes a huge difference in it. And I've had a lot of comments on that, the little details that others don't look at or they just throw a purse together and don't look at where the weak points are going to be for future use. I mean, I don't want, it's worst sales tactic ever, but I don't want people to have to buy another one. It makes, makes a lot of sense. So what makes a good leather and what makes a bad leather? Once you hear the word leather, you hear genuine leather, but I'm sure there's all different grades, just like in supplements, there's, there's your $15 pre-workout that you get at Costco's. And then there's your $50 pre-workout that you get at, at, at a, a vitamin shop or a GNC. So what is the difference in grades? Uh, when you hear that genuine leather or that stamp that they have on there, the little cowhide, all that means actually is it is made of leather. That doesn't mean everybody thinks that's higher quality, genuine leather. It's actually a trademark, and it's just meaning it's leather and not fake leather or pleather, like you're talking there. But all of mine is sourced from, and I stand by this, it costs me more, but I get all of mine out of Missouri, out of Herman Oak. And they're actually tanned in this big vats and everything else, and it's actually pretty cool, but it goes back hundreds of years type of deal. So now, the process hasn't changed from way back when. Now, the gentleman that made my hat, J.D. Tierney of Southpaw Laser, mm -hmm. obviously, I wear it every hat. I love you, J.D. But he had to close his business and go back on in the oil fields because he was having such a supply chain issue. Have you seen supply chain issues lately? For some of the hardware, I have, but most of all my stuff comes from the United States. So I haven't had as bad of a problem with it. And a lot of the guys that I get my stuff from are little, for the most part, little shops. I mean, everybody sees a tandy leather and everything like that. Almost every town has one, but a lot of theirs are imported. So there's where a lot of they are having that problem. But as far as the caps and stuff like that go, I was trying to push and do the same thing kind of, uh, JD was doing there and just make the patches, but I couldn't find hats at all. I mean, but they're all coming from China. None of them were made in the United States. 
Yep. And, you know, like my friends that make our shirts, just um, really designs Ginger and David, you know, they're, they're having supply chain issues. So, you know, and so let's talk about, you know, starting a business and boom, getting hit with COVID. You know, what's that like? And did you have to pivot your thought process at all once COVID hit and a lot of people stopped ordering anything because they were so scared? Did you have to pivot in any way? It slowed down quite a bit right there. But no, I didn't really have to change much. It was all right since I do, like I said, still work in the oil field. Leather business did slow down there for, I'd only say probably about four months. And then everybody, I, I guess this is my thought process, everybody was sitting at home still and bored and wanting to, wanting something type of deal. So they had started messing around on Facebook and I would pop up somehow. And I actually did pretty relatively well with the leather work over the whole COVID deal. So, you know, for me, like podcasting kind of saved my life. Uh, it, it's it, it's given me a purpose again. You know, this is the fun stuff. This is for me talking to you, interviewing people. That's the fun stuff I love to do. Now, the graphics and all the other crap I'm, I could do without. So is there a certain product that you just love to do that certain product where it can be just it can be just mindless and you can just go with it? I actually, I really enjoy building saddles. I really enjoy it, but my saddles, for me to make any money, I have to price them pretty high. And there's not enough working cowboys anymore that are going to pay for, excuse me, pay for a saddle that's $3,500 type of thing for a base saddle. So that is, I really like doing tack. It's, I don't know why. That's where it all kind of started for me in my mind, and I still enjoy it. I mean, that I got certain products that I absolutely hate building, too. So I try to focus more on tack and wallets type of thing. So now, if you had to go back, I mean, even though it's only been a year or two, but if you had to go back and start over again, what are some of the things that you've learned over the last two years? In business, in business. Oh, <laughs> quite a bit because I didn't come from a business background of any sense. I mean, that I traditional business. I mean, it was always farm, ranch, that type of thing. Which, if someone looks at, it's still pretty good business. But my first biggest thing I think has helped me the most is I ended up uh, hiring Caleb Blair. And love me, love me some so He's amazing. He has taught me so much. It's not even funny. Cause I mean, I, I thought I had a pretty good idea of business and I was completely wrong. And I don't know. He's done quite a bit. I mean, as far as just, I think the biggest thing I'd go back and do is set, actual goals something to strive for so i can mark it or mark the success i am reaching i think that'd be the biggest thing all right so now a lot of people you know we get out of the military we want to start a business but we also got to pay the bills 
And, you know, and if you're like me, if you're, you know, you got a wife, you got three kids, you can't just do the whole Gary V thing and just say, go all in on your goals. Like, no, I got to eat. I got to pay the bills. So how did you set up your days to where, you know, you're working in the field and then you're working in your business while also keeping a happy home with your beautiful children and your bride? How do you keep it all going? Uh, mine usually I was doing 20 days on 10 days off. So I'd have 10 days off to come back and do leather work. And I'd usually do that in the evenings or whenever I had a chance, but I'd actually have my kids down there with me, uh, working, which my wife absolutely hates at times because she doesn't like the little ones playing with knives or anything else. So she might be right. Uh, but they could work down there with me and try little product or projects and everything else. And they'd always come up to me and I want to build this. Okay, well, draw it out first and then we'll get it, the leather ready. So they were always, or they still are, always out there trying to build something. I still don't know what most of them are, but they're still trying to build something. <laughs> so on your website, what are some of the products that you do carry now that are in stock? that we can order for the holidays or Christmas? So most of my wallets, my Badlands wallet, my two-tone leather wallet, and those are the main ones and a couple clutches. I only have a couple clutches left right now. But I'm actually, this year, I'm struggling to keep up with inventory because it's still just me. I'm still doing it all by myself. Uh so it's hard to keep up with inventory right now. Okay. So how do we find you? How can we find your website? How can we support your mission? Uh, on Facebook, you can find me Pinkerton and uh, company, or you can go to my website there, pinkertonleather.com and search that and it'll pop right up right there. And I have all my products right there. Some of the bigger ticket items are built to order. And right now I actually, because of all the scheduling and everything, I actually bought an enclosed trailer to take with me to work with all my leather work and stuff. So I can actually do leather work after when I get off work or if I'm not doing nothing during the day. Okay. So now do you, can you make like personalized wallets and stuff like that? On most everything, I can customize it with initials or names or stuff like that, but it has to be, has to be able to fit. I turn a lot of people down because they want to put a word this long on a wall that's gonna be about that big. <laughs> so uh, it has to be initials or something like that, but everything is customizable. But right now I'm not actually taking any orders for Christmas for customization. It has to be all stock items. Okay. I just don't want to do it and not be able to get it there for Christmas. I love it. And, and, and that's what I love about you. You're like Stephen Eugene, you know, Kuhn always talks about honesty, honesty, integrity, and transparency. And that's something that you've always been. And you've always been a gentleman. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very grateful for you. Last question I have. Um, you know, we still live in a crazy world. We still live in a COVID world. You know, we still got parents driving uber to put food in their kids mouths you know we got grandparents homeschooling kids 
So if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're never going to be able to get to it. But if I ask somebody that's listening to this to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more than likely. If there's somebody listening to this right now that is hemming and hawing about starting a business and wants to do it, but don't want, you know, they call it that paralysis of analysis, you know, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours, maybe to try to get some clarity and get their business going? Oh, um, I think like you said, everybody tries to overanalyze everything and just take action. I mean, just do something. Everybody says they don't have enough time. I mean, that might be, but we all can find an hour a day to work on a business. I mean, start small and just go for it. I'm not saying quit your business, but, and I know a lot of people say to, but I, I disagree. I mean, you're going to fail if you just quit your job and go do something that you don't know is going to work. And I love that, you know, and I think a lot of people, you know, they'll see somebody, you know, that's, that did, you know, quit their job and became sexful, successful. But, you know, a lot of those people were single. They were younger, you know, they didn't have families, they didn't have mortgages. Right. And, you know, I've never seen a business go out of business that was overcapitalized. Exactly right. You know what I mean? So, brother, I just want to say thank you. Uh, first of all, and I want to thank our sponsors, Tammy Tammy Moses of the Horty Solution, Kurt Ballish, um, Ballish Woodworks. You guys are amazing. Truly love you. Guys, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a note or a comment and follow us on our um, on iTunes or wherever because I'm not getting paid for this. This is all just my way of giving back. And that would be a great way to pay us is just by leaving a comment or review. So, Casey, brother, I just want to say thank you. It's such an honor to be able to hang out with you. And I'm truly grateful for everything you do. And every time I look at my wallet, I thank you. So I just want to say thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you doing the show. I love listening to it. All right, guys. Remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is but up. See you next time. Hey, guys, if you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new T-shirt line that's coming out. Hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee, and, and it, will, it will get you moving in the morning. So, guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So, if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting 
our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.